So Azul wants to know all about how you reconcile the final price when you're talking about buying the shares of a company. He wants to know about retained earnings and enterprise value. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Dealmaking, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog, where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like, and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. Hey everyone, I got a great question from Azul about figuring out the final price when you're buying a business in a stock or a share sale or share purchase, I guess. And let me read the question. He was watching the video, what number do I multiply? And put this in the comments. He says, I wanted to know a bit more regarding retained earnings and price. The issue for me is there is a large amount of retained earnings in a share or stock purchase um, but what are your thoughts on the end price, retained earnings plus valuation price? I feel that the enterprise value plus retained earnings is excessive at closing uh, price agreement. What are your thoughts? Okay, uh, great question. So what Azul is saying is that, you know, when you, he wants to reference enterprise value. And the way that we get an enterprise value is by taking the cash flow and multiplying it by some number, usually based upon the riskiness of the industry and maybe some comparable transactions. And so we take the cash flow, we multiply it, maybe it's three times EBITDA, we get a value. And this is supposed to be the value of the business as a going concern. And then he's saying, if I buy the shares of that business, people are telling me, or I've been told that we then add the retained earnings to this enterprise value and that gives us the final price. And Azul, I've run into this before, let me tell you. However, um, if someone is telling you this, then there's quite a few concepts that they're missing. So we're gonna, we're gonna delve into this and I'm gonna share my screen because I have created a simple little illustration here. And I'm going to share that. And I'm going to um, describe it for people who might just be listening to the audio. So I've created a simple balance sheet with cash, inventory, and receivables at $100 each, and then machinery at 100 and equipment at 50, giving total assets in this business of 450. And then on the other side of the balance sheet, we've got some payables for 100, and that and that and that's it. No other liabilities. And so then in the equity section, we have something called retained earnings for 350. And if we add the liabilities, the payables and the retained earnings, we get 450. So our balance sheet balances. Okay. So in the suggestion that Azul had put in there, his question, um, he said, should we pay the retained earnings and the enterprise value? So in below here, I've got another line where I've got EBITDA of 150 times three is our example is 450. So if we take the 450 and we add 350, we end up with 800. So does it make sense for somebody to pay $800 or 800,000 or whatever it is, 800 for a cash flow of 150? On the surface, that seems like a high price. And so this is probably what prompted Azul's question, you know, that that just seems like a very high price. So 
Let's take a step back and let's address some of the items here on the balance sheet so that we have a clearer understanding of what is being suggested when somebody says that we should be adding these two numbers together. So retained earnings, what exactly are retained earnings? The name would suggest that somewhere in this business, there's a hidden box with $350 in it, right? But that's not what retained earnings are. Um, if we wanna compare the business to a house, for example, if you had a home worth $100,000 and you owed uh, $70,000 on a mortgage, you would be able to say that you had equity in your home of $30,000. That home equity is the same thing as the equity section of the balance sheet. It's simply the difference between the assets and the liabilities. Now, the equity section is usually divided up amongst a couple of categories might be share capital, the money that the investors originally put in to start the business. But then where did the other equity come from? It came from the fact that over the course of time, if we're talking about a profitable business, they had profits that they used to pay down debts or buy other assets. And so over the course of time, the liabilities shrank and the assets grew because of these earnings over time. And that's where we get the term retained earnings. They're, it's not money in a box anywhere, okay? So now that we understand what retained earnings are, it's simply the difference between assets and liabilities. What then is enterprise value? Well, the definition of enterprise value is that it's the price someone is willing to pay to acquire a cash flow, and that price is inclusive of everything required to make the cash flow come out of the business, right? If you imagine the business like a magical black box, that is a stream of money. The price you're willing to pay is for that box, and it's gotta have all of its components. So let's look at our balance sheet again, because I wanna point out something. Um, this balance sheet only has payables as a liability. There are no loans or anything like that, right? But on the asset side, we have machinery and equipment. And so if enterprise value is supposed to comprise everything required to make a business go, and we add retained earnings to it, what we're essentially doing is we're paying for that machinery and equipment twice, aren't we? Yeah. So maybe there's some kind of adjustment that we have to make to the enterprise value when we buy shares, but it's not got to do with retained earnings. What I think that someone is after when they suggested this to Azul is that maybe there's extra operating capital or short-term capital in the business, current assets, we would call that. And so let's take a look just at the current section of the assets and the liabilities. So if we just look at the current stuff, we've got cash, inventory, and receivables of $300 each and payables of 100. And so that would mean that we've got 300 of assets, 100 of payables. We have a net position in current accounts or a net current accounts position of 200. 300 minus 100 is 200. So then is this the number we should be adding to the enterprise value? Well, I don't know. You see, Here's the problem with this whole line of thinking. The real answer about how we adjust the enterprise value when we buy shares is that it depends on the industry we're talking about. Remember how I said that the enterprise value is supposed to be inclusive of everything required to make a business go? Well, that is also one of the things that is required to make a business go is some element of operating capital that would normally be required to make a business run. Now, that element of operating capital varies from industry to industry. 
It's often referred to as the net normal position in working capital. And that second N is, N is the critical one, normal. When we figure out the cash flow of a business, we often look at normalizing the income statement or P&L. And so we do add backs and we make different adjustments based on what is actually happening in the business. But not very many people understand that a balance sheet also needs to be normalized if we're going to be talking about selling the shares of a business or even the assets. I'll get back to that in a minute. And so what you have to do is you have to look at the balance sheet of the company and you say, what should this balance sheet look like under normal circumstances? The balance sheet that we're looking at here has no long-term debts. And this is like a lot of balance sheets I see for a company that's been profitable for a long time. The owners of the business paid off their debts. They don't like debt. They don't want to pay interest. And so they don't get into debt. But the reality is that this business, you know, it's got cash, inventory, and receivables. Perhaps in this industry, normally some of the inventory and receivables are covered by a line of credit. Even though you don't see it here, it would normally be the case for most people in this industry. So think about this. If you own a small business like this one here, maybe you don't like to be in debt and you don't like to pay interest. So you pay off all your debts, right? What that essentially does is it increases your equity. And so on this particular balance sheet, we see a large equity position, 350. The equity is very large compared to the rest of the balance sheet. And so the earnings, that EBITDA cash flow, as a proportion of the equity is quite low. This business is earning a very low rate of return on equity. Okay, Over at Walmart, for example, and other big companies, they're not trying to maximize net income. They're trying to maximize return on equity because they're being measured by the investment community based on the earnings per share. And so if they can use very cheap bank debt in order to boost the rate of return on their equity, they will. So in any business, when we're going to be looking at buying the shares, we need to figure out what should the balance sheet normally look like. Once we do that, we can figure out what this net normal position in working capital is. And that, Azul, is the part of the working capital that is actually part of the enterprise value. Because the enterprise value is supposed to include everything that we need in order to make the business go. If there happens to be some amount of current accounts or a net current account position in excess of the required working capital, the net normal position in working capital, then yeah, you might normally make an adjustment on closing day. In most of the share deals that I've ever worked on, we've actually made an offer and we've said in the offer that on closing day, the business shall contain a certain amount of net position in, in net current account position. Yeah, there's a lot of nets here being thrown away. Anyway, net normal position or net current accounts position. And then we just, I define it. I put, which is defined as cash, receivables, inventories, minus payables, et cetera, right? So we know that on closing day, we want a certain formula in the current accounts, not the long-term assets or liabilities. Now, I know that I've thrown a lot of things out here on the table. So one of the things that I want to circle back to is about the assets. A lot of the times when people are doing an asset purchase, they tend to take the cash flow, they multiply it by some number to get the enterprise value, and then they just assume that the assets of the business are worth that enterprise value. Again, not correct. The enterprise value includes everything required to make the business go. 
And in an asset sale, you are usually not acquiring any of the current accounts, whether assets or liabilities. In most cases, sometimes you buy receivables and stuff too. But if you fail to understand what amount of working capital is part of the enterprise value, you will end up overpaying for the business in an asset sale as well. So this stuff is important. And the reason why I was so pleased, uh, actually, when Azul asked this question is because um, late last year, one of the new modules I added to my Business Buyer Advantage program is a whole section on share purchases and share deals. And largely the entire module is about how to go about figuring out the net normal position in working capital so that you can figure out what exactly to offer on a business in a share transaction. And so anyone who's ever signed up in the past for Business Buyer Advantage, just go log in, the, the new module is there. And for anyone who wants to sign up today, please go ahead, go to businessbuyeradvantage.com. Um, it's like almost 14 hours now. I keep adding new modules to it um, and it's less than $500. It's an amazing course that hundreds of people have gone through. I keep getting emails from people who say they've gone through it over and over again and that it's helped them to avoid bad deals, et cetera. Anyway, so I would recommend that to you as well. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with people in the midst of a deal who are telling you these kinds of things and it doesn't seem right, you know, it's an indication that maybe they don't quite know what they're doing. And it's really common, unfortunately, because there are a lot of people out there in the world of buying and selling businesses who don't fully understand what they're doing. Anyway, uh, hope to see you soon. I love you all very much and we'll see you later. So how can you learn more? So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com, where you can learn more about me and how I work with my clients. You can learn more about my books and the online courses that I've prepared for you. You can find out about how to subscribe to my email list, the YouTube playlists, etc. There's literally hundreds of hours of content there, all for free, and I'd love for you to be my guest. Special thanks go out to Jeff Alpaw Customs for being my tailor. Men all around the world can look dangerous, just like me, with the help of Jeff Alpaw Customs. JeffAlpaw.com. Use the code DCB10 to save. They handle multiple currencies and ship anywhere you happen to be.